Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Digital Voices with Ed Marks, and really happy that you joined us for this drop. And we're going to tackle a new topic for us here, and that really is all around financial stewardship, or some might call it business resiliency. Uh, but also, we're going to cover, like always, the top, uh, leadership. And I can't think of a, a better guest uh, to tackle these topics with me than Eric Helsher. Eric, welcome to Digital Voices. Hi, Ed. Thanks for having me. So Eric is the VP of Client Success at Epic, and we'll get into that in a minute. But first, DJ Megan, have you ever been to Epic headquarters in Madison or know someone who has? I haven't, but I know we've sent um, plenty of team members to the campus for UGM or um, other activities. And it looks really, really fun. It looks like a, a magical campus. Yeah, yeah it, it is. It is very magical. I think for me, and I'm certain it's part of the reason of the design is uh, it really enhances a collaboration as well as uh, for me, creativity. I love to be around things that uh, spark my imagination and help me be creative. And it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool place. So uh, Eric, I'm trying to think when we first met, had to be a long time ago, but I'm not sure. I was probably at Texas Health maybe. Yeah, I think we've been ships passing in the night for years yeah. in between Texas Health, New York, Cleveland. I've been in a lot of the, the other cities at different times, but yeah. I know we cross paths at hymns and, and other uh, venues like that over, over the years. Yeah, we kind of grew up together. And because I remember my first day at Texas Health was my first exposure to Epic. And I remember they had me like sit, you know, we were already doing video uh, back in the day. And, and it was a video meeting with all the leadership at Epic. You may have been in that meeting as well. And I was like, I was so excited because, you know, I hadn't worked with Epic previously and all my peers, many of my peers had and having these great experiences. And I, I wanted to see if it was was true. And uh, it, it really was a great experience and great working with Epic. Uh, but before we go much further, Eric, people always want to know what's on your playlist. So what kind of music do you like to jam to? Yeah, I've always been a, a country and a rock person. So I've, I've seen like Air Church, Toby Keith, Pearl Jam many, many times. I've, I've met Luke Combs. I'm going to see him here in a couple months again. Uh, they're all playlist regulars, but uh, right now, most of my songs are about getting uh, nine and 10 year old hockey players fired up pregame. So uh, are the, you playlist, uh, the kids are funny. They'll, they'll sing along to all the pop songs, but then like, they'll, they'll do the chicken dance and then uh, they throw the locker room door open and, and march out to Metallica. So um, the, the playlist is varied and fun and uh, the kids bring a lot of energy. So are you, are you coaching like uh, this hockey team, like your kids hockey team? I am. Yeah. So a crew of us and uh, it's an adventure, but it's, it's very fulfilling and um, have the, the state tournament next weekend. So Wow. And, and so did you grow up playing hockey yourself? I did not. I grew up playing street hockey for fun and uh, spent most of my days on a, on a wrestling mat. So I, I learned the the durability uh, that is required for hockey and uh, and the commitment. Um, but watched a lot of NHL. And, yeah. um, you know, you go through this USA hockey certification to become a coach, even for elementary school kids. And I've probably put 30 hours into online learnings, in-person sessions, all kinds of things to learn to, to coach hockey, which is good. It, it helps 
it helps provide some consistency and, and build the support. But it's it's been fun, and yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's the playlist these days. That's really cool. And what about so? Have you learned to skate? Are you a decent skater now? Not that you have to to coach. Yeah, uh, I kind of do. I mean, every now and then you fall. It's a little embarrassing and painful. But uh, yeah, I mean, growing up on rollerblades, and then I, I skated enough yeah. that I can uh, I cannot embarrass myself too bad. Oh, that's cool. So, like, you skate backwards and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that's also what's fun. Spent a lot so, of time on the ice now. It's uh, it's good here in Wisconsin, you know. It's yeah. clearly known for its winters and, and a great way to spend some time and spend a lot of time in a rink. Yeah, though, that's very cool. Is there something that uh, – a quote by someone or words that sort of drive you or, you know, a life message, a mantra, something that guides you? Yeah, you know, over the last few years, I've, I've really gravitated towards uh, the sort of the stoic philosophies or similar ideas on, on perspective and resiliency. Um, I don't know if you read the book, The Obstacle is the Way. That is a that was pretty life changing for me, actually. This uh, this concept of see things for what they are, act where you can, endure what you must. Um, they, you know, they talk a lot about how you can control. You can't control the world, uh, but you can control how you respond to it. And um, it's been helpful. It's kind of liberating in a way. I think, um, I don't know, lately, it just seems people are so determined to feel scared or hurt or be offended um, by, by things going on. And uh, they don't they don't look at themselves first. And uh, you asked about a quote. There's a good one from uh, Anthony DeMello. He had a, a really good line of, you know, seek to, to change yourself uh, rather than other people, uh, that it's easier to protect your feet with slippers than to carpet the whole of the earth. <laughs> and uh, so I thought that analogy is good and, and always like that quote. Yeah, that, that's a really good one. And and tell me the name of the book again, because if it was a game changer for you, I'm definitely getting that book. Obstacle? Of- yeah, it's The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. All right. No, that's very good. And- yeah. I, my The CEO who I reported to at Cleveland Clinic, he was definitely a stoic. So I got into a lot of stoicism and it was learning a lot about it so I could better understand uh, my boss. So uh, I, but I didn't come across that book. So I'm definitely going to look that up. So we know a little bit about you already between your music tastes and you got at least uh, one boy playing hockey. Uh, tell us a little bit about your story, personal, professional. Yeah, I was uh, born and raised in St. Louis area um, and then studied a combination of, of business and information systems at the University of Illinois. And I ended up at one point college having uh, the the longest PCP visit of my life, and it was because my physician just sort of went off um, when we were talking about information systems about how dangerous my paper chart was, and said, you know, we're twenty years behind, um, and it just he just opened my eyes to healthcare IT, and I thought, wow, what a what better way to apply my interest in, in technology than to to help you know help providers, help nurses. So I applied at Epic, and uh, I haven't left the industry since. I've been here nearly 20 years. Um, moved to Madison for the job, and um, it was a good start to a career because I met my future wife in the first week. Um, and so fast forward, we have two kids, the boy in hockey, uh, my 12-year-old daughter, um, and we have a house here in Verona near Epic. Um, and I actually asked for that PCP. His name's Rick Vaughn. And uh, we ended up working together uh, when he became the CMIO at SSM Health, and I led their in- uh, Epic implementation. So it was uh, it was full circle. Yeah, and uh, we're still friends to this day. Oh, that's very cool. And does your daughter and wife skate as well? 
Um, they do. Yeah, my daughter did a lot of skating lessons, but she's more uh, more on stage than on ice, and so she does theater. And uh, my daughter or my wife can get on skates, but she'll take it easy. Yeah, no, that's fine. I, I grew up skating. That's why I'm really super interested in what you talk about. So, yeah. Vice President of Client Success. Uh, the title itself sounds pretty intriguing. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more? Give us a little color on that. Yeah, I mean, the role is about helping organizations solve their problems using the success stories from others. Uh, it, it's sort of simple as that, you know, really innovation through imitation and, and great execution. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time with health system execs just sort of mapping their broader goals like patient experience or reducing staff turnover to success stories where, where people have done it, where they've, where they've accomplished, you know, a particular objective. And then take those success stories and map them to, you know, detailed plans on, on things they can do with Epic um, and, and really a focus, you know, less on things to buy and more just about how to maximize the use of, of the software they already own. No, it makes a lot um, of sense. And didn't you, yeah. didn't you also have a short tenure as a CTO? Yeah, short tenure would be the operative part of that phrase. Um, you know, I, uh, I stepped away from Epic briefly back in 2012 and uh, was part of the healthcare vertical of a large, you know, global Fortune 500 tech company. Um, it was a great experience, but largely because it helped me understand just how different Epic is. Yeah. Um, it really made me appreciate how, you know, even as a pretty big company now, we, we have a small company culture here. You know, we, we, we value knowledge and experience over titles. Um, we aren't public, so we can play the long game. Um, you know, in terms of, of helping customers, sort of the tip of the spear are, are, uh, are BFFs, uh, which, which does stand for best friend forever. Um, you know, they're, they're sort of analogous to, to other people's account, man uh, account managers. But, but like the term account manager sounds like a sales job. Yeah. <laughs> and our BFFs are focused on relationships and helping get cu customers get the most value out of Epic. And so I just think of, you know, man, can you imagine pitching a, a public company CEO on you know, staffing a fleet of 400 people that won't sell products or bill for their time? Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's those kind of unique philosophies and culture that, that I think really make Epic special. And I've enjoyed being a part of it. Yeah, yeah. For There's no doubt. Very very unique and special organization. And like I said earlier, I've, I've enjoyed my many interactions uh, over the years. So let's turn now to the realities of what's happening in the marketplace in terms of financial challenges. You know, I'm reading that we're in our Q1 of 2023. I'm reading that, you know, the average margins now are like negative 0.02. Obviously, some healthcare systems are doing better. Lots are doing worse. Are you hearing from clients uh, something similar on financial challenges that they might be experiencing? Yeah, a, a lot. I mean, you know, the calls tend to start like ours did before uh, before you started recording, you know, a little, little talk about sports and weather. Um, but usually when we shift to how are things going? Um, I hear this audible sigh, and um, there's just there's just so much pressure on budgets and the bottom line right now. And you know, you your listeners all know why, right? Staffing issues, reimbursement challenges. Um, it, it's it's definitely significant. Do you think it's more severe than the past? So I was sort of reflecting on this myself, you know, because I always had to deal with tough budget situations, you know, for my career as a CIO. Uh, but something 
you know, I, I just wonder, is it more severe than in the past? What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't know that it's more severe, but I'm sure a lot of people feel that it is. Um, certainly when you're, when you're in the moment. Um, but I do think it's different than in the past in that it feels like it's healthcare specific. You know, there, there's been financial challenges, um, you know, many times over the past, you know, 20 plus years from the dot-com bubble, uh, the housing crisis, you know, other economic dips. But, you know, right now, healthcare is is feeling the squeeze. But, you know, as of the time you and I are talking right now, you know, the S&P 500 is up on the air. So yeah. it, it just really does feel um, like healthcare is getting getting the brunt of it. And um, I don't know if, if we're alone right now, but usually there's sort of larger economic dips associated with with the with these kind of high intensity times of, of budget pressure. So I know when I was CIO and I was in one of these dips, you know, financially, one of the first calls was my BFF and I was like, help. Um, how is Epic helping clients uh, reduce costs? Uh, we'll talk about costs first and then maybe I know there's a flip side to doing that, that, that you all are good at mm-hmm. as well, but just on the cost side, I, how does Epic, you know, a company like Epic help? Yeah, I think, I mean, the good news about the crisis feeling more healthcare specific is that the, the solutions are healthcare specific. Um, and, you know, technology might be our own only way out of this mess. I mean, staffing is a yeah. challenge, but, you know, technology allows you to scale that staff with like virtual nursing or allowing patients to take on most of the, the front desk or, or billing work. Um, obviously the population is aging, unhealthy, but you can care for them at home with, you know, anything from a blood pressure cuff to doing full primary care or or hospital at home, you know, again, all technology enabled. Um, I'd like to see CMS and some of the payers up their reimbursement. Um, but in the meantime, you know, we can actually automate claims and payments. We can literally connect the health system to those payers and improve quality reduce administrative costs, reduce denials. So, so we're focused a lot on, actually we put together a playbook uh, called the cost reduction checklist and really working with organizations on maximizing the efficiency, automation, self-service capabilities and what they have today. So the big areas are patient access. Um, you know, again, patients booking them their own appointments, checking in online, um, improving patient flow whether that's, you know, predicting a patient in the ED that's overcrowded right now is more likely to be admitted than, than someone else and, and start to get moving on the, on the bed planning process. Um, you know, discharge related analytics to help get patients out the door um, sooner. And um, also, you know, on the, on the pharmacy side of things, there's a lot of opportunity to save money and the analytics built in Epic will help them figure out, you know, what are the medications where I can move these patients from IV to PO? Where can I start moving them to, you know, more generic um, medications? Where can I be a better steward around uh, antimicrobials? Um, good for quality, but but also cost. Uh, I mentioned RevCycle automation, also a big focus. And then, you know, we can't leave our clinicians behind. Clinical well-being is a way to actually save money, um, but obviously, more importantly, it's about about the well-being of those individuals. So. Um, and we can talk a little bit more about that, but, um, you know, getting, getting people, you know, not only just better software, but better training, uh, better use yeah. of mobile capabilities, 
and better use of system personalization, you know, really making making the HR work for them. So those are a lot of our focus areas right now, all part of a, a larger cost reduction strategy. Yeah, th- those are big. I mean, I, I've been taking notes. I wrote down, I think, like a, at least a dozen uh, different things. And yeah, that's why I always encourage, you know, my peers because they'll call me. It's like, Ed, you know, what do I do? You know, because their their first thought is let people go, right? Because uh, half their cost is labor cost. I'm like, no, 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 no. No, there's things you can do. Call your, you know, your BFF. There's things that you can do, not just on, you know, helping to reduce costs, like all the examples you gave, but also increasing revenue. And I know that comes out of your playbook as well. Can you, can you share a few examples of like some things that organizations can do to improve their revenues, not just focus on the cost side? Yeah, one, one area we're really focusing heavily is OR utilization. And I mean, OR is an expensive asset, so there's cost to that, but you can make a lot of money with the surgeries and so um having you know better analytics to help people understand where where is room time being wasted where could you take one procedure move it to a different room and free that first room up um to be able to take you know a a different surgery a more complex surgery Uh, but also building capabilities to create essentially a marketplace for surgeons where you can prompt somebody to say time opened up um and it matches you know your particular specialty would you like to would you like to book it? Uh, so really just getting rid of, of some of that wasted time, which is going to increase utilization, increase revenue. Um, on, the, on the patient um, you know, access side, like I mentioned, that, that does improve utilization at the same time. It's not only less yeah. costly to have them book it themselves, but I actually find that the patients are less likely to no-show because if they book online, it's easy to cancel online. And then when they cancel online, a feature in Epic called FastPass can automatically reach out to people on the wait list and say, hey, something opened up earlier. Would you like to Would you like to get in? I've seen organizations get patients in 20, 30 days earlier, um, again, yeah. without without staff time. So that that's making money as well. Yeah, you know, I, I can't get into specifics again. You know, I'm on the board of a couple of health systems and I don't, you know, they're doing, they're doing great. And they they struggled in some in some things where the playbook the things that you're talking about really address some of those struggles and they were able to make these vast improvements, you know, like, and for the first time leveraging analytics, they realized, Oh, we have a no-show rate. They, they didn't know. They never knew that they had a no-show rate, you know, mm-hmm. and, and what it was. And so they realized, Oh my gosh, we have like 18% no-shows. And so they're able then now to use the analytics, use the capabilities, fast pass, um, and make sure that those openings get filled. And, and, you know, the whole thing on productivity, uh, is pretty interesting. Can you, can you, I know we're not naming any clients, but generally can you, can, can you talk about one that like was in sort of dire straits and, you know, implement some of these things and, and what the outcomes were? I mean, I, I imagine, I imagine you've had a lot of these type of calls. Yeah. And I don't mind naming some of the clients. I mean, we, we publish a, a lot of these summaries and success stories on epicshare.org. Uh, actually a woman, Ashley on my team, runs that and her job is the, the success story coordinator and um, pulls these things together so people can see what's possible and, and how to replicate them. Um, you know, as a BFF, actually, I work closely with NYU Langone and, you know, they really, really push the sort of the digital front door mindset in this digital space. And, and they partner with their operations to, to make it happen in a, in a way. It's just such an incredible scale. Um, for example, their patients booked over 2 million appointments themselves last year. And, and they actually did the estimate and sat with somebody and said, you know, how much do I pay you to sit in this desk and take a phone call and book an appointment? How long does that take? 
and compare that to my cost on my chart and my administrator and my server. And they estimate they save like five to nine dollars per appointment, depending on how complex that appointment is. Well, two million appointments in a year, they they did pretty well. And then on the check-in front, same thing. You know, you go to, you go to the airport, right? You, you know, you got to swim through the kiosks, and there's somebody floating there. Um, it's like that at NYU, and they saved uh, with about a thousand uh, check-in kiosks. They saved over 150 FTEs. And these aren't layoffs. These are vacant positions, high turnover positions. They just no longer got to fill. So they right. estimate that's um, 15 to 20 million a year on its own. I mean, that's, that's big money regardless of, of current market pressures. It's just taking the software they have, you know, really leveraging it at scale. Um, on, the, on the physician well-being side, nurse well-being side, you know, every, you know, people are, uh, have been struggling and, and wellness is always important. You know, I always looked like groups like University of Colorado, UC Health, and they just do the right combination of take the latest Epic features so that people can take advantage of, of the best software available. But at the same time, you know, get out there at the elbow and, and show these folks how to use the software better. And it's not a, hey, Ed, how you doing? Everything okay with Epic? Can I help you out? But they actually use the data in Epic to very clearly say, you know, uh, looks like uh, you spend a lot of time in orders, right? Or you, you write really long notes. I mean, we, we can tell down to the individual provider, their individual practices, how, how much their team is actually contributing to their workflow. And then they really optimize that environment. And they went from a, a negative uh, net promoter score measurement uh, around, you know, the EHR with their providers to a positive one. Um, and they actually did a standardized burnout test and measured a 10% reduction in burnout. And, wow. you know, they've got, I think, 900, 1,000 physicians in the Denver area. I mean, that's uh, that's significant. And um, they, they've just been, a, a, again, a great example of, you know, take this best practice around the people you have, the software you have, and, and really really maximize the use of it at scale. I, I love the fact, Eric, that you talked about, you know, well-being, because we were, we were focused on sort of like, how do you optimize and reduce costs, take costs out, and then how do you increase revenue? But it is true that if your clinicians are burnt out, you're going to fail on both those. Um, and so it's not as a, a direct, it's more of a hidden cost. And you all have identified it. I was talking with a mutual friend of ours, uh, Darren Dworkin, uh, who's now, you know, he was a longtime CIO for listeners who don't know, I'm sure everyone does. Uh, now he's the president and COO of Press Ganey. And we were just talking yesterday about patient experience. And I was, I was asking about how is digital tools help patient experience. And some of the findings that they have is that patient experience, I kind of wrote out this formula. So I may not get it exactly right, but this is how I interpreted what he was sharing. Patient experience is a result of quality care, digital tools we're talking about, and well-being or, or patient or not patient, but uh, employee engagement or clinician engagement. So it really does impact uh, everything in the entire experience. I, I thought that was I, I don't know. I thought that was like pretty insightful. So who should clients reach out to? I think we already sort of answered that question, but um, if, if someone is out there struggling, right, they, everyone has a BFF. Absolutely. Yeah. BFF. Uh, there's also their technical coordinator. They're, they're the partner there as well. Um, and, you know, I always say the BFF and TC are sort of like quarterbacks. Uh, their job is to get the ball to the right person. So that, that could be pulling in a, a developer, a clinician, um, somebody who just knows a particular area really well. And, uh, you know, we, 
set up a call, talk through an area, but we bring teams on site. We host organizations here at Epic and so you can see the campus and, uh, you know, meet directly with the developers. Um, there, there's a lot of opportunities. And, and like I mentioned, Epic Share is a great place to uh, get online, you know, see what others have done and, and see if there's a, a playbook to follow. Yeah, I, I know that those were a couple of things that I've done multiple times in my career. And so just reinforcing what you said is I brought my leadership teams out to the campus, uh, to Madison. I wanted them to, you know, understand there's a partnership, you know, there's, there's not like a, a simple transactional relationship. There's a transformative relationship. And so, uh, I made the trek out a couple of times with different executive teams. And then, yeah, every time I needed some help, you know, I pick up the phone and my BFF and it was like, they, you know, the troops would parachute in and, and help us out, uh, in all different ways. So that's pretty cool. I, it's a very unique culture. Uh, let's move on to lead. To leadership. So we talked a lot about sort of this concept of financial stewardship and business resiliency and really good, good uh, content there. But I always like to sort of end with leadership. So Eric, you're a very, I would describe you as an authentic and empathetic leader. Is, is, is that nature or nurture? I mean, are you born with it or is it nurtured or, you know, how did, how, have you ever, ever done that self-analysis? You know, how did, how did you become the way you are in terms of a leader? Yeah, authenticity is natural, and that uh, it, it's nurturing for me to rein it in sometimes, and uh, and keep myself in check. But I've always been very empathetic, uh, and you know, I don't know, my my approach with the teams is first to try and share the why, you know, understand what is our purpose, and and why are things um, you know the way they're going to be, and then set the guardrails for how to get the job done. And then sort of get out of the way and let smart people do their thing. Um, you know, I've learned a lot from Judy over the years, actually. And, you know, one of the things is you know, managers need to manage. Uh, so getting out of the way doesn't mean getting out of the details. And you've, you've got to know what's going on if you're actually going to help your team succeed. And so, I don't know, back to the sports analogies, like good, good coaches may never step on the field, but, but they do know the playbook and can call the plays. And um, so I think it's important to, to stay close to the work, um, but also, you know, let people, um, you know, kind of be who they are and develop in, into the, the professionals they can be um, by supporting them, you know, with, with a, an understanding of why they're here, what are we working on, what are we trying to accomplish? Yeah, no, it makes, makes a lot of sense. I like that. And what about, you know, some people call it the balanced life. I, what, I wonder what... Do you, do you have a sense of what stoicism, how stoicism approaches uh, sort of this concept of balanced life? Or some people might say there's no such thing as a balanced life, but it's more of an integrated life. Um, you know, how, how do you achieve whatever you want to call it? But, yeah, I, I am also interested from a stoic point of view, if you know it, uh, not to put you on the spot, but like how would a stoic approach that answer? Yeah, I mean, in, it doesn't sound like the ancient Romans had Microsoft Outlook. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, but uh, yeah, I kind of see it like, like you said, is it, is it balanced or is it integrated? I think it's more integrated. I mean, work is part of life. Parenting is part of life. Cooking dinner is part of life. Um, right now, youth hockey is a large part of life. Um, I'm very visual. And so as sadistic as this sounds, I kind of visualize it like my Outlook calendar. And I just feel like all of those commitments, um, personal, professional, even stepping out to, I don't know, go get an oil change or have a dentist appointment. They're all, they're all like a pile of Legos that you just have to neatly organize into your calendar. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know, I'm awake for 17 hours a day and 
just slot everything in and, and try to um, make sure everything everything can get its space. Yeah. And, you know, something you, you said is really a, a way to sort of integrate, and that is you want to spend time with your son. He's going to go off to hockey practice for a couple hours, many multiple times a week, and then go off on weekends to tournaments. You're there with him because you're one of the coaches, and so you get that time together. So you get to do both. You know, you sort of like bring two people. Yeah, those are nice uh, two for one combos. Yeah. And then, you know, but, but to your point, then I need to I, I mentally schedule time with my daughter. Yeah, of course. Um, because it's, it's not thrown on my calendar the way the way practice and games are. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think you just got to sort of take it to the basics, make a list, prioritize it and, and slap things in. Yeah, I asked a question because, you know, I want people to see, especially those who are maybe early career or mid-career, that you can be a senior executive in an organization and, and have that integration, have that balance and, and be successful in both. You, it doesn't, it's not either, or and in some cases, that's what happens to people for very variety of reasons, but it doesn't need to be that way. And you're a good example of that, you know, sort of having both, you know, you can have a great family and spend the appropriate time and also get work done and, and make an impact, you know, globally with, with what you do. So, Eric, we talked a lot. We we talked a lot uh, early about uh, music and a lot about hockey. It was kind of fun and interesting. Uh, then we talked about your role at Epic, and then we spent most of the time just talking about how you're helping clients with financial challenges. You know, both on the upside and the down part of it. And then the most important probably is the clinician uh, well-being. And then uh, we talked a little bit about leadership. Is there something that we didn't talk about? that you want to share or something we did talk about and you want to double down on? I'll leave you with the last word. Yeah, I double down on this idea of not wasting a crisis. Um, I think there's a terrible irony happening right now where people want to cut IT budgets and IT might be their best catalyst to a, to a healthy bottom line. And they don't have to go run out and buy a bunch of you know shiny new toys and try to plug them together. Um, it's, it's really about making the most of, of the software you already have and seeing good outcomes from organizations that are focusing on, on execution. And, um, you know, now's the time we can do this. Um, the pressure ultimately, yeah, it could be healthy for healthcare and, and maybe we end up a better industry, you know, for, for doing so. Yeah, Eric, I, I agree with you. And I, I'm very fortunate on both the boards uh, for healthcare that I serve on that the CEOs and the boards are that they think exactly like that. So, you know, it's a difficult financial situation, having to make very difficult choices. But one area that they're not cutting and they're pouring more investment in is tech because tech can enable, you know, all the things that we spoke about. So obviously, you know, we're, I'm biased, you're biased, but, uh, but it's great to see these unbiased bodies, you know, the boards um, embrace that. And, and we've seen, we're seeing early results of that success. So, so I, that's a great, that's a great, last word. So Eric, thank you so much for being a guest on Digital Voices. I, I always love hanging out with you at any time I get a chance to interact. I always feel better about the world and myself. And uh, so thanks for being on our show. Yeah, thanks, Ed. Great talking to you. All right. That wraps up Digital Voices. Hope you found it super interesting like I did. And thank you to DJ Megan for awesome production. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.